make Jesus famous. famous. As his ambassadors, all we gotta do is help him look better, you know? Be better stewards of his public relations. Hey everybody, good morning and uh, welcome to Christ Community Chapel. Really, really glad that you're here. Welcome those of you over in East Hall and those of you just tuning in. Uh, welcome. Uh, we have uh, several initiatives happening at our church this month we want you to take advantage of. Uh, one is the 21-day prayer initiative, uh, where we are asking 2,100 people to commit themselves to praying 21 days in the month of February for unity and racial reconciliation. Uh, we are praying that God would heal the deep wound in our country and in our culture. So if you have not yet joined that, you can grab one of these prayer guides in the atrium and just jump in. We would love to have you do that. The second initiative is this card, the famous or infamous challenge card. The idea behind this card is in the first century, Christians were known for crossing barriers, all kinds of barriers. Paul the Apostle said that Jesus breaks down every barrier, socioeconomic, ethnic, racial, and the problem is that most of us are birds of a feather. We like to flock together. We like to hang out with people who are a lot like us. So this month, the challenge is take this card, help it to remind you to try to crawl over one of those barriers that divide people. Try to get to know somebody of a different race, a different ethnic group, invite them into your home, have coffee with them, read a book about black history so that you can understand more about someone else. All right, and after you do whatever you feel like God has called you to do, I want you to bring this challenge card back and you drop it in the offering plate as an act of worship, of saying to Jesus, I did something just because of you. All right? So in every week, we will gather those cards and we'll tell you uh, how many people have climbed over barriers in the last week. I've already heard some great stories of people that feel like God put something right in front of them, and the only reason they recognized it was because they were thinking about the cart. So, let's do that. Last thing is, if you are not yet part of a community group here at Christ Community Chapel, we'd love for you to become part of one. It's one of the ways that a large church becomes smaller. We feel like relationships are important. The more quickly you get connected to other people, the better it is for you, and the better it is for us. So we're having a community group open house next Sunday. There are details in your bulletin, but if uh, you would come, you can meet some community group leaders and try to figure out if there's a group that you could be a part of, all right? Okay, we have a theme this year, and our theme is to make Jesus famous everywhere to everyone. All right? We are uh, in the second week of a four-part series called Christianity Famous or Infamous, and we wanted to do this series because uh, as a species, we are prone to well-intentioned mistakes, or maybe just mistakes that are even not that well-intentioned. And we want to avoid as many of those as we can as we seek to make Jesus famous in 2019. So last week, we kicked it off with a message on us versus them about equality. This week, we're going to talk about judgmental or merciful. Judgmental or merciful. I read this book uh, some time ago, uh, it's called Unchristian, What a New Generation Really Thinks About Christianity. 
It was put out by the Barna Group. They are uh, people that just collect data. They do a lot of polling and everything. And this is what it says on the back. Christians are supposed to represent Christ to the world. But according to the latest report card, something has gone terribly wrong. Using descriptions like hypocritical, insensitive, and judgmental, young Americans share an impression of Christians that's nothing short of unchristian. Right? In the chapter about judgmental, being judgmental, they say that uh, outsiders, that's what they call people who are not Christians. They feel like that's a less pejorative term than calling them unsaved or lost or unbelievers. They just say they're outside of the Christian faith. But in their chapter about being judgmental, they said that 87% of outsiders view Christians as judgmental. Eight, that means more than eight out of ten people who are outside of the Christian faith look at us and think that we are judgmental. Being called judgmental is never a compliment, ever, right? And we probably don't feel like we're judgmental. You probably don't feel like you're judgmental. And one of the reasons for that is uh, it's such a difficult thing to self-diagnose, which we'll talk about in just a minute. But it's ironic that this sermon comes after last week's sermon, Us Versus Them. I got some feedback about that sermon last week, and uh, some of you felt like it was a political sermon. Uh, it wasn't a political sermon. I used political illustrations, uh, and there's a difference. Like if I use a basketball illustration, it's not a sermon about sports. <laughs> it's just an illustration. So I use political illustrations for a reason, though, because the Us Versus Them is so virulent in our political system. But if you, if you thought it was a political sermon, you should listen to it again. I would challenge you to because it, those were just illustrations. But one of the, the, the ironic part about this sermon following last week is that some people felt like I missed the point of Jonah, uh, the book of Jonah. But the real point of Jonah, they said, was that the Ninevites were so wicked they needed to repent. And that was the story of Jonah. But that's not the point of Jonah. That was part of the story. But if the Ninevites were the story of Jonah, that wouldn't be called Jonah. <laughs> It'd be called like first Ninevites. <laughs> the point of Jonah was that God was trying to show Jonah that he had no compassion for the Ninevites. He was trying to move Jonah from being judgmental to being merciful. And that is a tough, tough journey. And that's the journey we're going to try to make this morning. So batten down the hatches. This might be another sermon you won't like much. <laughs> All right, here are my three points. First is the secret of Jesus. The secret of Jesus. Number two, the problem of judging. And number three, the truth about splinters. The truth about splinters. Okay, first, the secret of Jesus. Jesus was accused of a lot of things when he walked this earth. He was accused of being a glutton. He was accused of being a drunk. He was accused of being demon-possessed. Of course, he was accused of blasphemy, which landed him on the cross. He was accused of being a, a revolutionary. He was accused of a ton of things. But Jesus was never accused of being judgmental. Isn't that interesting? That Jesus was never accused of being judgmental but we as his followers have 87% of outsiders thinking that we are judgmental, which means that something is going wrong in the way that we are following Jesus. 
You see, Jesus was holy. He was God incarnate, which means that sin deeply offended Jesus. Every sin offended Jesus. Sin offended Jesus much more than it offends you or that it offends me because every single sin was against Jesus. And of course, you are most offended by the sins that somebody commits against you. But every sin was committed against Jesus, so he was deeply offended by sin. He was also holy, utterly holy, which means that he never sinned. So he could never say to somebody, you know what, I shouldn't judge you so harshly because I've done the same thing myself. He never did the same thing. My point is this, if anybody had a right to be judgmental, it was Jesus. In fact, one day he will be the judge of the living and the dead, but when he walked this earth, he chose not to come off like that. In fact, the people Jesus was hardest on weren't the people who were committing the worst sins of the time. The people he was hardest on were the people who were known to be self-righteous and judgmental. Right? In the first century, there was a lot of bad stuff going on. I mean, really bad stuff. There was slavery. There was prostitution. There was trafficking. There was infanticide. There were all kinds of bad things going on. But Jesus chose to go after people who were known to be judgmental, who were known to be self-righteous. And the question is why. Part of the reason is that it is uh, self-righteousness, spiritual pride is the most deadly uh, spiritual cancer. And the reason is because every other sin is kind of a built-in mechanism to let you know that something's going wrong with your soul. Right? Every other sin, like if you go on a porn binge, you're going to feel dirty. Right? You, you cheat on your taxes, you're going to feel guilty. You lose your temper, you're going to feel bad. You uh, eat the last piece of pie. Right? You might get indigestion. But if you are self-righteous, if you are judgmental, you won't feel a thing. In fact, you will feel good about yourself. And that's what makes it so terribly dangerous. So what was Jesus' secret? I know that some of you are thinking, you know what, if we're always merciful then doesn't it seem like we're condoning sin? Right? But Jesus was completely holy. He never condoned sin, and yet he never came across as judgmental. In fact, people who watched Jesus accused him of something in Matthew chapter 11. And this is what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 19. Jesus says, The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look at him a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. They called Jesus a friend of sinners, which is kind of unfair because if Jesus was going to have any friends, they had to be sinners, right? It was just a matter of degree with all his friends of how bad a sinner they were. But how did Jesus do that? Right? How was there that balance of being deeply offended by sin, being absolutely holy, never committing sin, and yet living in such a way that people looked at him and said, he's a friend of sinners. And where those people who did the worst things wanted to be close to him, with the exception 
of the self-righteous and judgmental. How did that happen? Well, Jesus' secret is really in John chapter 1. John chapter 1, John begins with what's called the prologue. It's an amazing five verses describing Jesus and really telling everybody that Jesus could do whatever he wanted to do. But then the secret is found in verse 14. Let me read the first five verses and then verse 14. John says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. There it is. The secret of Jesus, how he could be holy and yet not come off as judgmental, is that he was full of grace and truth. John doesn't say he had all truth and a pinch of grace. Jesus had, was chock full of grace. He had enough grace to hang on a cross for you. He had enough grace to endure the pain and the agony that every single sin that you committed demanded by the justice of God and every sin that I commit, that I've committed. Jesus had that much grace. And so this is the thing. If we are going to be people, if you're going to be a person who knows a lot of truth, if you know the Bible really well, if you've been in Bible studies, you will need an enormous amount of grace. Ginormous amount of grace. Otherwise, you'll be judgmental. And you'll be self-righteous. If you have a lot of truth and a pinch of grace, you're going to be absolutely self-righteous. And that made so much sense to me. Because some of the people that I know, when they first became Christians... We're so full of grace, they would never think about judging somebody else because grace had just, they couldn't believe that God would love them so much that he would forgive them for everything they've ever done. But then, as they've learned more about truth, as they've studied the Bible more and they've become less of a sinner, which is a good thing, then they felt like they needed less grace and all of a sudden they start becoming very judgmental. And some of the people that are the most judgmental are the people who've been Christians the longest. So if you know the Bible well, we want you to know the Bible well. We want you to be in Bible studies, but you need to remember that you need as much grace now as you have ever needed. And you need to be full of grace if you're not going to be judgmental, if you're not going to be self-righteous. And that brings me to the second point, the problem of judging. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, says this, Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. This is God's word. Now, I know that some of you, when you hear that, you're thinking, well, what, what do we do about the systemic sin of our culture? And uh, we're actually going to talk about that next week when we talk about justice versus injustice. But this passage is about what's going on inside of you, not outside of you. It's what's going on in your heart. All right? And 
Jesus says, the problem with judging is this, judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment that you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Jesus said, the problem of judging is that we never judge other people the way we want people to judge us. We, we, we never do that. I and mean, one of the reasons that we can be harder on other people than we are on ourselves is that with ourselves, we know the whole story. But with another person, whenever you judge them, you just know a sliver of the story. You don't know the whole story. I was reminded of the story of a man on a city bus. We had three small children that were just, you know, running around just crazy. And finally, another person sitting on the bus couldn't take it anymore. He said, sir, I, I can't take this anymore. Your kids are the most ill-behaved children I have ever seen. You have got to get control of them. You've got to learn how to become a better dad. And this man looked up. And he said, oh, I'm sorry, you're right. I haven't been paying attention. We're coming from the hospital where their mom just died, and I don't know what to do. I'm lost. You judge somebody else, you just know a sliver of the story. Right? You don't know the whole story. I've, I think I've told you this before. I was on my way to officiate a funeral some time ago. You know, I'm, I'm driving there, and I'm, I'm praying for the family, and I'm, I'm thinking about what I'm going to say and how I'm going to try to approach that. And, and then all of a sudden, I realize that I've run out of lane on, you know, on the road. And so I put on my blinker, and I, I dive into the lane. I push my way into the, you know, the traffic to my right. And then I do the obligatory look in my rearview mirror and wave, you know, sorry. And the lady looked really mad. And, her, and then I noticed that her headlights were on and that she had a flag on top of her car. And I looked in front of me. Every car in front of me had a flag in front of it. I pushed my way into a funeral procession. Do you think any person who saw me do that thought to themselves, that guy might have been praying. <laughs> he could have been on his way to a funeral. He might feel exactly the way I feel, right? No. Because that would take an enormous amount of grace, wouldn't it? We don't judge people the way we want to be judged. The second way that we don't know, we, we, we sometimes will assume someone's intentions. We'll try to read their hearts based on what they've done or how they've acted. Right? And, you know, Scripture tells us that God knows the thoughts and intentions of the human heart. But it also says you don't even know the thoughts and intentions of your own heart, let alone somebody else's. Right? I've had somebody try to, to, to read my heart. They, they feel like they know the, the thoughts and intentions of my heart based on my body language. Whoever wants somebody to judge them like that? Who would ever want to have somebody judge them and say, oh, the way he's walking, the way she looks, this is what is true inside her heart, inside of his heart. It's a terrible thing to do. My wife, Karen, and I have been married for 38 years. At our five-year mark, we had kind of a breakthrough. Uh, it was a game-changing moment for us. The first five years of our marriage are pretty much like anybody else's. I think we were trying to adjust to the whole thing of being married. But at five years, we had had a fight, and we sat down, and we ended up saying this, listen, from now on, I commit myself to you that from now on, I will think the best of you. No matter what happens, if I'm hurt or something, I will still think the best of your intentions. I will think the best of you. Game changer. 
So for the last 33 years, I've lived with a woman who always thinks the best of me. Do you know what that's like? It's wonderful. Do you know what this place would be like? If every single one of us thought the very best of someone, of the people around us, who you always assume the best intentions, this would be a place you would come, you'd never want to leave. This would be like heaven. Jesus says, the problem with judging is we never judge people the way we want to be judged. We read into their intentions. We only know a sliver of the story. When we do that, we become self-righteous, judgmental. And that brings me to the truth about splinters. This is uh, what Jesus says. He says in verse 3, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there's a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Speck is a tiny piece of wood that gets caught somewhere, gets embedded somewhere. Oh, and by the way, this is kind of Jesus being funny. This is a Jesus joke. Because he's saying, how can you try to take a splinter, a little tiny speck of wood out of your friend's eye when you have a log sticking out of your own? I like, you know, we call them splinters, these little pieces of wood in my house. This right here, this is my splinter kit. Uh, I was in charge of taking, when my kids were at home, I was in charge of getting their splinters out of their hands or their feet whenever they got splinters. My splinter kit really just consists of two tools. I have a needle and I have a pair of tweezers. If you've ever taken a splinter out of a child's finger or a child's foot, you know, you, you end up taking a needle, at least this is what I did, and I would scrape and poke and slowly try to kind of get the tip of the splinter unveiled, and then I would grab the tweezers and I could pull it out. First truth about splinters, splinters hurt. Splinters hurt to have, and they hurt to take out. Splinters hurt. Jesus gives us uh, three truths about splinters in these verses. You have them, they have them, and then he gives us an idea of how to deal with them. First, you have them. Jesus doesn't say, if you happen to have a log in your eye. He says, why do you go after a splinter when you have a log in your eye? You have splinters. You have sins in your life you do not see. You have not recognized. That's the first thing he says. Second thing is, they have splinters. The people you know and love, everybody around you have sins that they cannot see or they, they are ignoring. They have splinters. But then the third thing is how to deal with them. And I'm just going to give you three ways to deal with splinters. I'm going to try to make it simple. This is what makes sense to me. Jesus says, uh, look at your eye, check your heart, use your head. <laughs> That's it. Right? Look at your eye, check your heart, Use your head. First, look at your eye. Jesus says, before you ever go after a splinter in somebody else's eye, make sure you check your own eye. Not just so that you could remove the whatever is in you and so you can see more clearly. 
It's so you will know, you will remember how much it hurts to have a splinter taken out and how vulnerable it makes you feel. I don't know when the last time you had a splinter in your foot and you had to put your foot up on somebody's lap and they had a needle and you couldn't even see what they were doing, but they were digging. Right? It's, in a, it's a very, very vulnerable position. And that's the first thing. is Before you ever go after somebody else's splinter, you need to take care of your own because you need to be reminded of how much it hurts right? and how vulnerable it makes you feel. Second thing, check your heart. He said, you check your heart because you have to ask the question, why are you going after that splinter in somebody else? The only reason I would ever try to get a splinter out of my kid's foot or out of my child's hand was because I loved them. That was the only reason. And I didn't want it to get infected for them to go even through more pain. So I would, the only reason I would ever go, have them go through the agony of me digging that splinter out is because of my love for them. Listen, if you ever go after a splinter in somebody else and you do not love them, don't do it. If you're a person that just hates splinters, <laughs> you just I just can't stand splinters. <laughs> right? Stick with your own. That's what Jesus says. You don't go after a splinter in somebody unless you love them. Otherwise, all you're doing is being self-righteous, and judgmental. The last thing is use your head. Say use your head. There's an important two parts to going after a splinter. There's timing and there's relationship. Right? Timing. I never would go into my kids' room in the middle of the night, throw open their covers and dig in their, you know, start digging in their feet. Right? I was always somebody I would say, hey, are you ready? Are you ready? Ready to, to do this? Because we need to get the splinter out. Right? And, and the other is relationship. I have never in my life gone after, a, you know, gone up to a stranger with my needle and my tweezers and going, hey, buddy, <laughs> let's do this. Right? You have to have a relationship. That's why, for me, one of the things that, one of the, I've known Jim College for 30 years. Uh, there, there may be nobody that I trust more or respect more than Jim. And I've given him permission to be my splinter finder, right? To remove the splinters, to see the splinters and remove them. He's like my spiritual authority. That's why spiritual authority is so important. That's what spiritual authority is supposed to do, to help you see the stuff that you don't see. It doesn't help to have a spiritual authority that when they point out something in your life, you go, you're not my spiritual authority anymore. I fire you, <laughs> right? That's not the way it works. So I give Jim that spiritual authority in my life. But when Jim comes in my office, if he feels like I have a splinter, he always comes in my office and he says, uh, how are you feeling today? That's how I know it's going to happen. <laughs> and if I say, uh, I'm not ready, he would treat me like I treated my kids. He would say, okay, I'll be back. You tell, let me know when you're ready. Because we have to do this. And I trust his love. Listen, something's gone terribly wrong with us, with Christians. If Jesus, who is the Holy One, was never accused of being judgmental, and eight out of ten outsiders look at us as being judgmental, something's wrong, don't you see? How are we going to fix it? Well, the way you fix it is 
We have to become people that are not just about truth. We've got to be, be people that are filled with grace, so filled with grace that when we go after somebody else's sin, we do it in such a way that we know that we are gentle, that we love them, that we care for them. But if we become a church filled with people who have a lot of truth, who know the Bible really well, but just a pinch of grace, then instead of making Jesus famous, we will make, him, we will make Christianity infamous. But if we are people who know the Bible really well, who have a lot of truth, but we also have a lot of grace and we are chock full of grace and we realize that we need more grace now than we ever have, then we will make Jesus famous. And that's our goal. Make Jesus famous. 2019. To everyone and everywhere. By being merciful, not judgmental. All right? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come to you, and I am uh, amazed that you made yourself a friend of sinners like me. That you are so full of grace that even though you know all the truth about each one of us, that you have offered us forgiveness. Thank you. I pray that you would fill us with both truth and grace, that we will become people who imitate you in such a way that we draw people to you. And I pray that you will protect all of us from becoming self-righteous, from spiritual pride, from being judgmental. Make us people of mercy for your sake and for the sake of this world. Amen.